This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Got a bunch of cool stuff to talk about, so let's just jump right in. Mike Chi has just released the design files for the Raspberry Pi hat, the Retro Tank Ultimate, as an open source design. This is something that he had made a few years ago that was one of my favorite solutions from getting analog output from a Raspberry Pi, specifically VGA, RGBS, or even component video. But I guess with a lot of people figuring out how to take HDMI to component converters and use very specific timings to get that running on CRTs, the demand for this stuff has gone down, but it's still very much there. Just probably not in the same type of demand that would require a large run of production. So anybody that wants to build their own can now with the design files, um, anybody that wants to do a small run of production is welcome to as well, just as long as you follow all of the open source guidelines for it. Um, and up until now, this one and the RGB Pi, which is basically the direct SCART output, have been my favorite Raspberry Pi RGB solutions. But there's so many choices out there nowadays, and each one is really great and specific for each person's setup. So uh, very awesome of Mike to open source this for the community. Um, I'll be doing a follow-up video soon on Raspberry Pi hardware choices for people who want RGB or component output. I did a video a few years ago that's still uh, completely accurate. There's just a few more options, such as now this being an open source design. So thanks very much, Mike, for open sourcing this and not just letting the, the project die. It does kind of bother me a little bit when people people's projects go end of life and they don't have any plans to do anything with it. So they kind of just let it fade away. In my opinion, and I could be wrong about this, but in most cases, it's really great to just do something like this. So if you don't have time to support a project or if it's not, um, you know, it's not demanding the same run of numbers that makes it worth it to do these big runs of productions and support and all that stuff. Uh, just, you know, let the community have it and do what they will with it. You know, there, of course, is other things involved. Sometimes if you open source a design, you're now giving your intellectual property for another design away inadvertently. So I, I get it. I'm not like shaming people that don't open source all their designs. I guess just saying very happy, very positively. Thank you to everybody that does this stuff. And thanks to Mike. I just read a pretty interesting post that talked with one of the original PlayStation 2 developers whose focus was on backward compatibility with the PlayStation 1. And although many of us probably know the story and the specs behind it and everything, it was pretty interesting to hear that uh, this person's position started out as doing software emulation for the audio chip, and then they decided to just include the audio chip anyway, so then they moved on to porting the GPU over. And while the interview was great and I certainly enjoyed it, I did wish that they talked a little bit more about the nerdier stuff, like exactly what revision GPU was used, why was that choice made, um, was there any knowledge of the, the different ways that the different rev GPUs affected the 3D graphics at that time, or was it not even noticed? So we didn't get the answers to any of those, but it was still a really cool story, so anybody that's interested in a, a small piece of history, definitely check that out.
It looks like another project was open sourced last week. Voltar just posted the design files under the Creative Commons license for his Capcom Classic 2 JAMA adapter. And while he'll still be selling these on his website, anybody that wants to make their own can feel free to do so. Uh, and for anybody that's unaware, some original Capcom arcade boards, referred to as the Capcom Classics, uh, have something that looks like a JAMA connector, but it's a different pinout. So if you want to use that with a super gun or inside an arcade cabinet with a JAMA harness, you're going to need some kind of adapter. And I believe Voltar spent quite a lot of time on this, making sure the routing was well well done, making sure there was you know no interference added. So if you were looking to use those boards, you're probably going to want to pick something like this up. Um, if not, then you probably won't need it at all, respectfully, of course. But I'm really happy that this stuff is out there. So either buy one from them, make your own, or uh, you know, feel free to do what you'd like with it. And once again, you know, because this is a the second thing that's being open sourced this week, I do just want to remind everybody that you should absolutely follow the terms that are laid out in these open source licensing. Because a lot of times people don't, and it really is discouraging for other people to then start open sourcing their designs. So, uh, you know, while I say that, I gotta honestly say that 99% of the open source stuff floating around in the retro gaming world has been awesome. People have embraced it, people have followed the rules. Um, the people that open sourced the design were happy to see other people using it and making use of all their hard work. So this is something that's really 99% positive, but there's been some cloning in the past year uh, from from multiple sources too so I'm not like trying to hint at one thing or one company or anything like that but you know it's kind of gross to see because when something's open sourced all you have to do is give credit and follow the rules and you know if part of a project's open source and not another part don't clone the whole thing just use the open source part and then figure out another way reach out to the developer and, and you know work with them or something but um, you know you're, you're never going to stop bad people from not following the rules but I just want to remind everybody in a, in a positive and polite way that almost every single time I've seen something open sourced, when it was done correctly and when it was uh, used correctly, everybody's happy. You know, the original dev's happy, the new person who's working on it's happy, the people who get to use these things are happy. So let's, you know, let's try to stick with that positivity as much as possible and lay off the cloning because it's just... All it ends up doing is frustrating people and making them not want to create new designs. So, I mean, it's an impossible problem to solve. Half of Amazon's electronics are clone crap. But, uh, you know, I always stand up for that. And I take a lot of crap from trolls about this on every platform. Every time I talk about cloning, I have people just dogpiling me. Well, the analog Super NT is a clone. If you, if you can't tell the difference between something like analog NT versus the Super Nintendo and somebody who's currently selling a design that somebody clones and then starts selling themselves, uh, if you can't understand those differences, then I, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to explain it to you, and I'm just going to ignore you. So, you know, once again, you know, feel free to open up the floodgates and come at me for this, but there's a very clear demarcation point for what's cloning, and then what's like uh, parallel thinking, and what's just, you know, something where you're taking an older product and making your own version of it. But anyway, most of that was really meant uh, meant with positivity just because there's so much awesome open source out there. So thanks for everybody that works on those projects. 
It looks like there's another firmware update for the PSIO or PSIO, however you'd like to pronounce it. But this is the device that plugs into the back of a modded PlayStation 1 that allows you to play games off of an SD card. There's a specific mod board that you need to install into it or mod chip, however you want to describe it in this scenario. Uh, and once that's installed, you could use this or then just use original CDs if you choose to. Um, once again, it's uh, the update is really concentrating on bug fixes. Um, and, you know, there's a ton of PlayStation games out there. So this is not an easy thing for any company to accomplish. And it's pretty cool that um, Sibdine, I believe is how you say the company's name, is really starting to buckle down and take care of a lot of these things. Um, I think the writer of this article, Alex, really nailed it in that, you know, it's a it's an overwhelming and daunting task to take on. And it the updates recently have really started to do a very good job. And I'm kind of interested, uh, much like Alex said, I'm interested in what's going to happen when bug fixes kind of smooth out and then they work on feature additions because there's a bunch of really cool stuff that I think could probably be added to this. Um, in fact, maybe this is one of these things that should have been closed source hardware, open source software. I don't know enough about the project. I'm definitely talking out of turn here. Just, uh, you know, basic speculation. But um, hopefully the community and the company behind this will figure out a cool way to get a lot more of the bugs worked out. Um, and it's already a fairly stable product. I mean, you could complete a lot of games with this. So I just think optical drive emulation is going to be something we all need to rely on a lot in the future because, you know, optical drives themselves are wear out and have already been wearing out for a while. And optical discs, while, you know, disc raw on store-bought games isn't as bad as something like laser discs, they're still not medium that's going to last forever. So digital ways to preserve this stuff is certainly going to be better. Uh, the sooner we get to it, the better, I guess. So thanks to the SIO team for continuing to support the product, and hopefully we'll see lots more like this. Jason from GameTech is now selling a Vectrix ROM cart based on the open source Vextreme design, the 0.2 revision, that was designed by Ratboy and Technobly. Jason's selling it for $60, and they're in stock right now on the website, so no pre-orders or anything. Um, and they come with a case designed by Greg from LaserBear that's a really cool translucent case. So anybody that was looking to pick up a pre-made Vextreme for their Vectrix, definitely check this one out. Mike Chi has just released two new firmware updates for the RetroTINK 2X SCART and the 2X Pro, not the original TINK 2X though, that adds a bunch of features including what he's calling low-res blending. And it's a pretty interesting way of doing like composite video blending with higher quality signals, S-Video, Component, or RGB. And I think it, it really is an interesting... Uh, an interesting addition that anybody with one of these should just give it a try based on the game that you're using. So I use the Sonic Waterfall example here because I think it's a really great way to demonstrate the difference. Um, I even added a slider tool on the page for people that just want to go side by side and check out the difference between the blending and the sharpness. Um, and while I think the Sonic Waterfall is probably the best example I could show, um, it's not something that would, in my opinion, at least matter to me. So I wouldn't turn on this filter in Sonic the Hedgehog just so that the, um, the waterfalls look realistic. However, in the water levels, probably, uh, even games like when I was playing Crusader of Senti, there was one level 
that had like a cloud effect to it that when I was playing in RGB just looked like dots because uh, they were designed for composite blending. They're basically designed for anybody unaware to take take advantage of all of the shortcomings of composite video and use the way that it ruins the signal to actually create it as part of the artwork of the game, which is pretty ingenious. So um, it's something where if you own one of these devices, I recommend just pressing the button and giving it a try. Maybe it's only going to be certain levels of certain games or maybe you'll try it once just to see what it looks like and then not do it again but it's a free firmware update and it's something that i recommend you check out especially if you already own one of the devices um, now for anybody needing to do a firmware update it's about as easy as it gets i believe it's pc only not linux or mac um, but all you have to do is plug in the device to your computer while holding down a button uh, wait to make sure the LEDs light up, load up a piece of software, and load up a firmware flash file. And that's it. You couldn't possibly get any easier. Um, and I really wished more devices were that easy to update. You don't need like a JTAG flasher or a custom wiring or, you know, any of the other stuff. Um, you know, obviously that adds complexity and cost to designs, but I just was very impressed at how easy it was to update this thing. So um, if you're an owner of the 2X SCART or 2X Pro, it's a free update. Might as well just load it up and enjoy it. Uh, the filters toggle just by pressing the filter button a few extra times. So rather than three choices on the 2X SCART, now you'll have five, I believe. Um, and it even offers a low-res filter and smoothing at the same time. Uh, I haven't really tested that too much yet, so I'm not sure the best way to use that, but uh, definitely something that you should try out and uh, check out the examples in the post. Um, and if you find a cool new way to use it, uh, let me know and maybe I'll do another comparison of it. Microsoft has just announced some more details regarding the upcoming Xbox's backward compatibility, and apparently it's still even going to be compatible with some select original Xbox titles with rendering in high resolution, as well as games that are even going to be HDR supported. So uh, the thought of an almost 20-year-old game being able to be rendered in 4K HDR or something close to it is really impressive, and something that I think is is pretty awesome for fans of a console, and it just shows that they're, they're showing their respect from the, the people that have been fans from the beginning and supported their platform, as well as wanting to bring in more gamers, of course. But this kind of begs a question for us as retro gamers, you know, what is the best way to play some of these original Xbox titles? And with some pretty awesome Xbox plug and play solutions being made available soon, as well as some internal HDMI mods being available, is that still going to be the best way to play these? Um, and I don't really know. I, I think in my my opinion, if you're looking to game on a CRT, of course, the original Xbox and even some Xbox 360 titles that supported the VGA output would probably be a great way to do it. But if you're gaming on a flat screen and the titles that you're looking to play happen to be one of the ones that are compatible with the newer one, maybe having it rendered in that higher resolution is going to be a better experience overall. I'd certainly like to dig into more testing on that. And uh, Digital Foundry already did a pretty cool video uh, that I highly recommend anybody checking out if you're interested in the upcoming Xbox Series X. The worst naming conventions of all time, by the way. I think we could all agree, but... Um, I, you know, and of course, this backward compatibility doesn't apply to every title, although I do hope they kind of open up the backward compatibility list and just say, use it at your own risk and expect it not to work. 
And that way, if people run into games that give them trouble, then, you know, they shouldn't really complain because they were already warned. But I don't really like that it's locked to select titles. I really do think it should just be marketed in a way of, here's the guaranteed titles and everything else you're on your own. But, you know, hey, maybe you'll have some good luck to it. And then have like a user submitted list of what games work and what games don't and things like that. But I'm just, I'm very impressed about the amount of effort that they're putting into backward compatibility. And I wish more companies would... would do the same. I realize it adds a lot of cost and effort and stuff like that, and it's not just a, a switch that can be turned on, but I, I do really love a lot of the titles on the original Xbox, and I do enjoy playing them still when I get a chance to, and I wonder if I would play them more if I owned the latest Microsoft console and it was able to play those games right on my flat screen. And speaking of the original Xbox, somebody's working on a project to create a new interposer board for it that allows you to upgrade to a faster CPU. And this is an interesting project because while you're not going to get any performance gain at all out of original Xbox games, you will out of homebrew. And even all of these years later, there's still a pretty active homebrew scene for the original Xbox. And for me personally, when it was out, I used mine for Xbox Media Center more than all other gaming combined, whether it's emulation or original Xbox games. So I probably would have appreciated any performance boost at the time just because. Um, and this is kind of an interesting project as well because it's it's kind of uh, inspired by original designs that have been around for a while but were expensive and hard to get, except this one uses BGA soldering in order to fix the interposer to the motherboard, which is incredibly hard to do. You need special tools, and without them, there's no way you'll be able to do this mod. Uh, and also, this mod requires the 128 megabyte RAM upgrade so that the newer CPU can run at optimal levels. So it's kind of really going to only be for a hardcore Xbox homebrew fans. But if you fall into that category, you've probably already been waiting for this for a long time and have been waiting to get your Xbox upgraded. So uh, very interesting project, and if you would like to throw some support in the developer's way, check out their coffee page. Co- it's spelled Ko-Fi, but I think the it's kind of like Patreon, but you only pay once, and it's kind of like a, hey, thanks for your work, let me buy you a cup of coffee type of thing. Interesting concept, but, uh, you know, of course, I'm always standing hard behind all of these support services because without them, uh, I mean, a lot of these projects just would be impossible to do. So uh, if you are an owner of an original Xbox that wants to see this happen, consider throwing a few bucks their way, uh, and I will update more on the project as soon as it's available and there's uh, if there's any installers that they recommend you go through if the project's finished. Someone just discovered a listing that's for an upcoming 8-bit Doe controller in the shape of a TurboGrafx or PC Engine controller. Now, there's no official news on this. This is just an FCC listing. And while the listing shows a Bluetooth logo, there's really no way to tell if it's a Bluetooth or 2.4 gigahertz RF. And there's also no way to tell if uh, this is even a product coming out. It could just all be something that they filed and then maybe they're going to put it out. Maybe they won't. But I certainly have hopes that it's a controller that is not Bluetooth and that will work with both the original consoles as well as the upcoming minis and probably probably any other USB-based console. And, um, you know, once again, this is all speculation. I do hope they stick with RF instead of Bluetooth, though, because retro stuff is really designed for zero milliseconds latency controllers, and Bluetooth has a wide swing variable latency, and it could be up to a few frames depending on the setup. So while going to RF doesn't guarantee a low lag setup, there's certainly more of a chance of it. So once again, this is just uh, an FCC listing and a bunch of rumors. 
but it's something that is pretty neat and I hope that they do actually release. Modern Vintage Gamer recently posted a video that talked about how the original PlayStation security was defeated and goes into detail about how the swap trick worked, how mod chips worked, and just the overall security of the original PlayStation. And while I think many of us probably remember using like a pen to do the swap trick while holding the, the tray open and stuff like that, I really enjoyed this video both because it was entertaining and it showed the technical history behind some of this stuff and really put into perspective the time frame of the era and of CDs themselves. So uh, I think this was kind of an extension of uh, the talk that Modern Vintage Gamer was doing at Expos last year at his panels, which I enjoyed a lot. I watched that twice, actually. So uh, if you were into that, definitely check this video out or, or heck even if you're just mildly into the PlayStation it was a really entertaining watch I just posted a video about a homebrew card that allows you to get RGB and component video into specific model Sony BVM monitors now this is the card that I talked about a while back that is a open source project meant to replace the BKM 129x and while it's not the most commonly found input card for a BVM I believe this is the first time anyone's ever been able to do this. So there's different input cards available that were homebrew solutions for things like the JVC monitors. However, there hasn't been one for the Sonys because they require special software, not just directly interfacing RGBS. So the special software is now written and used via an Arduino Nano that is right on this board. And the rest of the circuitry is pretty basic just to get a proper RGBS level into it or component video. Um, and I, I really enjoyed working on this, uh, working with the developer Martin to get it tweaked. And the version that I showed in the video is a BNC version, uh, but I believe he has designs now for people that want direct SCART in, which might be much easier depending on your setup or how you use it. Uh, and we're even talking about a version that's VGA in with a switch. So if you have a monitor that uses this card that's compatible with uh, 480p, you could either use it in RGB HV mode with a built-in sync combiner, or if you have something like a, a mister that just uses a VGA cable to pass RGBS, flip a switch and get RGBS in it. Uh, that addition was added after the video was finished, so I wasn't, uh, I didn't add that to it. I guess that's a little behind the scenes tidbit there, but overall, if you own one of the BVM monitors that require this uh, 129X card, I think the homebrew version is probably a better choice. Um, there's nobody's uh, making them and selling them directly. However, there are a few people just doing small runs of production of it. And of course, since it's open source, you could always make your own as well. Uh, just requires programming the Arduino Nano and then uh, soldering a bunch of stuff to the board itself. Um, so anybody interested, please check this out. And I also would like to take this opportunity to thank everybody that signs up on all of my support platforms like Patreon and Floatplane, because I always talk about things like without your support, none of this stuff would happen. And I think this is a great example because, um, I, I very often use most of those donations to fund things in the retro gaming world, whether it's buying parts, buying, uh, you know, products from people, or in this case, it's really just being able to kind of drop what I'm doing and spend time testing. And while I'm positive that the developer Martin didn't need my help, uh, you know, he's much smarter than me and could have done this on his own. I happen to have all of the equipment needed to do a lot of the testing on the version of the monitor I had, the, the D9H. So once again, just thanks for every, to everybody that supports. Um, if you don't already support, please consider throwing just the smallest amount. Uh, and more importantly than that, tell other people about this because I really love doing this stuff. I really 
it, my favorite part, I think, many times is the behind-the-scenes work that goes into it, and none of that could happen without your support. So thank you so much for everything, and uh, please consider telling your friends. Um, if you're already supporting, you're awesome. Don't do anything different, but uh, hopefully spread the word, and if you're not supporting, consider it, because there's a lot more that I could be doing. Uh, I just need a way to do it, I guess. So thank you all very much, and thanks to Martin for making an awesome card. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks for everybody that watches, listens, uh, participates nicely in the comments. Uh, I really do appreciate it, and I really do enjoy hearing everybody's perspective on things. And on a personal note, um, I decided that in all of these weekly videos and you know any of the production videos, I'm not really going to be mentioning anything that's going on in the world right now because I think a lot of people are bummed out or scared. And while I really wish that everybody's doing well and everybody's safe, I think stuff like this is really meant for people that, you know, obviously you want news and you want some of the educational stuff that's in here. But I also think a lot of people use this as an escape to get back to some kind of normalcy so that they could just, you know, on Wednesdays, flip on YouTube or flip open any of the audio podcasts it's available on and just kind of space out and, and have some sense of nerdiness without thinking about anything else that's going on. So hope uh, no one's disrespected by that or feels disrespected by that. I just want to keep this positive and happy and nerdy and uh, hopefully you could use this as both you know news and an escape but you know if I'm way wrong I guess just tell me and I'll, I'll change my mind on it but I kind of that's kind of where I'm at for now so hopefully this will be the last time I mention it and I, honestly I just wish everybody's safe and everybody's doing well and I'm going to take this opportunity to do some live streams which I haven't really done very many of because I just figure with more people being home nowadays might as well uh, might as well take advantage of it so um, not sure what I'm going to be doing on any of the live streams but just for the weeklies and the main content, uh, you know, I'm just sticking to nerd stuff and keeping my mouth shut about everything else in a positive way. So anyway, I uh, hope everybody's safe and I will see you next week.